Welcome to the Hustle Up podcast, the podcast that covers startups, side hustles and the self-employed. In today's episode, I'm speaking to Elliot Ray, the founder of Music Football Fatherhood. Described by the BBC as the dad's version of Mumsnet, it's an independent online community for dads and fathers of all races and backgrounds. The United Nations recently recognised Elliot's diversity work and he is now the proud recipient of the 2019 He For She Changemaker of the Year Award for his work on gender equality. Working in diversity and inclusion, he runs Music Football Fatherhood alongside his day job and raising his young daughter. Hey Elliot, how have you been? How's lockdown been for you and your family personally? Lockdown for me has been a wild roller coaster. Uh, it's been a lot of ups and downs. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I imagine it's been been weird with your daughter as well. Has she had to homeschool at all or has she had to kind of learn a bit more about what's going on? Have you had to explain much of it? Yeah, so early stages from April to June. Uh, so she went back into like preschool at the time on July the 1st. So she was off from like March to July. And yeah, that was just crazy because they're yeah, having to homeschool and then having to still work at the same time. Yeah. I mean, it's difficult because you don't feel like you're doing any one of those very well. So I think like for most parents, it was just about staying sane and getting through it. That was the main goal at one point was just staying alive and, <laughs> and trying to smile. Yeah, you've got to keep positive and try and do your best, haven't you? So taking it back just a little bit, can you tell me a bit more about where you grew up? What was life like for you as a child? Who did you live with and was family important to you? Mm, yeah, so I grew up in West London near Wembley. And uh, yeah, I think it was a a nice childhood. Lived with my mum and dad and my sister. And uh, yeah, it was it was you know humble, but we were never like going hungry. It was humble beginnings. Uh, my parents came over here from from the West Indies. So my dad was from Grenada. My mum came from Saint Vincent. And uh, yeah, it was. I look back and I think it was it was a happy childhood, man. I mean, I loved football. I loved music. A lot of stuff I'm still passionate about now yeah and uh yeah I've always been kind of like, you know a hard worker and also someone that likes to have fun as well so it's interesting actually yeah we think about how much we change as a child and I think a lot well for me a lot of the characteristics are still there it's just I'm just older now with more responsibilities so my next question was going to be after school what path were you thinking of going down so I assume did you go to university where did you go what did you study yeah, so I went to Twyford School in Acton, and then I went to uni, but it was a weird one where I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to go to uni, I didn't want to get a job, <laughs> but I didn't really have a plan of like, oh, I'm going to study this, or I want to be that. I didn't really know kind of what my career was going to be, to be honest. I was I was DJing, and I was into music, so I didn't really have a plan. So I studied business and marketing um, at Roehampton University, had a great time, really great time at uni, <laughs> lots of uh, partying, yeah. lots of good time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, but yeah, graduated 2005. And uh, funny enough, you know, do, have I used a lot of actual degree? I don't think so, but I kind of learned a lot about life yeah. in, that, in those three years, which has served me well. Okay. And do you think any of the business skills you learned there have helped you with not only doing your day job, but running Music Football Fatherhood alongside it? No, <laughs> to be completely <laughs> honest. <laughs> I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so at all. Um, weirdly, I think I was too young to go to uni. Okay. Literally, I, I feel I feel like um, there should be more of a case for like for like mature students. Yeah. 
when you actually know what you want to study, you actually have an idea of how you're going to implement what you learn into whatever you do. You're mature enough to actually want to be there and want to learn. You know, yeah. at that time, I don't think I was. I was there having fun pretty yeah. much. Like studying was kind of secondary, and I think a lot of a lot of for a lot, for a lot of students that was kind of like the approach as well. So um, now I think in terms of business acumen and that's all been learned you know afterwards probably getting into the working world and and doing music as well running a band stuff like that you learn a lot okay so university was more about the life skills for you than potentially yeah if if i'm honest yeah (laughs) in terms of like after uni what was your experience looking for your first job like so it was tough actually i was looking for a marketing job and you know as i know now like you know knowing people on connections are so important yeah definitely and at that point i didn't have any so it was like you know young black boy trying to apply to these big corporations I'm probably thinking who the hell is that yeah so yeah it was difficult so my mum worked in that west um as a cashier and she actually got me a, a job as a cashier in the bank like my first full-time job it was it wasn't too far from my house the branch so it was nice I could kind of roll out of bed have a quick shower and be there in like half an hour which was good perfect um and then after that so I worked as a cashier about a year and then worked as a customer advisor for like another year I think it was and then went into the business center the NatWest business center working with business customers a good understanding of of uh you know small businesses and how they work and some of the financial pressures that they have as well so that, that that was a really good learning experience and then after that I wanted to do my own thing so I actually left and for three years I was running um, my own business called Make It Happen Music where I was going around to different schools and housing associations and community centers and working with young people and teaching them about music production. Okay. Um, that was the in really about music production, but then would use those sessions to kind of, you know, engage with them on on serious topics around like gang violence and, and uh, you know, drugs and all that, all that sort of stuff. So I loved that, even though it was tough. But for me, in terms of training, I see myself as a facilitator now. Yeah. That's yeah. what I do in various different roles. So in terms of faci- training as a facilitator, like that is the, that is kind of going at the deep end. Um, I remember after my first session, I turned up to, an, to the housing association. They asked if I could do a session. I kind of said, yeah, 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 you know, I'm, I'm experienced. And these yeah, times I didn't yeah. I never run a session before in my life. But I, didn't, <laughs> but I said to them, yeah, I've done it. Yeah, I'm, I can do that. So they okay, say next week, can you come and can you come down? I've got a group of kids, you know, bring your equipment or whatnot. I'm like, yeah, fine. So I had to go on on this website and order, literally order laptops and keyboards. <laughs> I think they came in like five days. So I had to um, get the laptop, set them up. And then the keyboards weren't due to arrive the same day as a session. So I drove into central London, parked in some back road. Put a, I remember writing on this piece of paper to the to a parking attendant, like, please don't give me a ticket, get some keyboards, like begging them not, not to give me a ticket, stuck that on the window. And then ran into the shop. And I remember they couldn't find the keyboards at first. And I'm like, Aww. guys, like I've got a session in like two hours. I need those keyboards. And like, they found them. And then uh, I got them, put them in my car, I drove to the venue which is on uh it was in like just past Harlesden Kensal Green I parked up down this side road so I'm in the car now in my car unpacking the keyboards and setting them up with the laptops about 10 minutes before I'm due to be in so I do all that put them in bags walk into the community center and there's like 20 kids looking at me like you know who are you and what are you gonna do yeah you need to impress us yeah show me something <laughs> do you know what I mean yeah. and these are kids that have had a hard life you know like they're not they didn't come to play like they came need to inspire them and talk to them or whatnot so um yeah I remember just unpacking my stuff talking to them and then showing them some drum patterns on, on the keyboards and then getting them to do their stuff and you know when you think about life and you think about 
situations that you you're in or you just put yourself in where you know it's like sink or swim like what, what are you gonna do are you gonna are you gonna like you know step up and handle this or you know yeah. what happens so for me now going into certain situations because I've been in some of those situations you kind of you're kind of prepared for 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 anything really so that training really helps me perfect and work-wise after that how did things go from the first role so I know you spent a lot of time working in government um you've probably seen a couple of changes over the years in different government departments but yeah how how is it from the music to going into government sort of roles yeah so funny enough um when the coalition came in 2010 they cut funding for a lot of the stuff that I was I was doing so overnight, like a lot of, not just me, but a lot of the community centres um, just vanished, basically, just went. And you know, these, the kids that were getting the vital support, um, they couldn't access it anymore. You know, it's so funny because the London riots happened in 2011. Yeah. Kind of got a sense that something like that was happening because at that time, a lot of people had their support just taken away, literally overnight. So, yeah, I was finding it hard to, like, get business and whatnot. So I joined a temping agency. They, so I signed up and they put me on this job, actually, in a Marks and Spencers factory, which is quite funny. So basically, it's where, um, for the Marks and Spencers, like, homeware section, mm-hmm. where they've got all their sofas and whatnot, it will be the designers of the store will come to this factory. And they'll basically say, oh, can you get the red sofa with the, with the TV stand and, you know, whatever. And then it was me and this other guy had to go around this factory and just find all the stuff they want and put it down. Okay. And they might be like, actually, no, 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 can you get the red sofa instead? So you've got to kind of search <laughs> in this mile square factory for the red sofa. Bearing in mind, the red sofa might be underneath a cupboard and the wardrobes, you've got to take them off first. Oh, no. Bring yeah. it down, put the red sofa down. You're just thinking, don't ask me to go and get the blue sofa. Just imagine in your mind what the blue sofa looks like. I did that for a couple of weeks and then worked in a couple of other jobs. And then they told me about um, DWP, there was a temp opportunity at DWP. And at the time, I didn't even know what a civil service was, to be fair. Like, didn't know what it was. But um, the, the hourly rate was good. And it was to be a PA for the finance director. Um, so, yeah, I got the job and didn't really like it. But after six months, I was actually, I actually left. And then they called me back on the bank holiday. Another lady I, I was working with and uh, I got on very, really well. Then ended up working with her for five years as a PA. Okay. And I was doing that while I was kind of in a band with my wife and we're doing music and so so I had those two things going on and um yeah it kind of it kind of built from there and uh I found I guess I found another role in the part of the transport with a great guy called Jonathan Moore who's a director general and he kind of gave me a lot of um a lot of freedom basically and I, I think that's where I found where I could use my skills in a corporate environment up until then I didn't understand how I could but it was only then I realised, oh, this is what I bring. Yeah. So yeah. I kind of grew in confidence quite a lot. And then from there went on to be head of project race in in uh, DEFRA. And now I've got a new role, actually, going to be head of DNI implementation at the Treasury. Okay. Congratulations. Thank you. So for me, it was it was years. I'm not quite sure how I fit into, the, into that environment. And then once I figured out, moving out quite quickly in about five years. So it's been an interesting, interesting time. Yeah, I guess... It is all about finding exactly what you want to do and what you can contribute. You don't really want to just be a part of the furniture. You want to offer something and bring your key skills to the table. So, yeah, that's really interesting to hear about. How did you then move on to Music Football Fatherhood? How did you come up with the idea for it? It's not just music and football for fathers, is it? It's it's a lot more than that. 
Yeah. So for me, it was, you know, I've always been very like active. Like I literally, I don't know what it is in my brain, but I can't just, I can't like not be doing stuff. I can relax, but I also like to do stuff. <laughs> I also like to kind of like, you know, use my brain and just build and create things. So I knew that when I was becoming a dad, that it was really hard to kind of pursue music just because I knew I was gonna be tired and I was in a band with my wife and we were having a baby together. So obviously <laughs> that wasn't going to happen. So my, my daughter was born in October. Okay. And then it was 2015. And on New Year's Day, actually, in January 2016, I started writing about being a dad. Just kind of general articles about being a dad and whatnot. And it kind of, I think it kind of started when, you know, the, the, the motivation was because, you know, when my daughter was born, she was very ill. She was very sick and she's in intensive care and, and it was a tough two weeks in hospital. Basically, we didn't know, you know, if she was going to make it even. So sorry to hear that. So uh, for me, it was a lot of un unresolved things. I think I was dealing with at the time. My, my wife had like postnatal anxiety and stuff like that. So for us, the first six months or so were quite tough because we were dealing with all these like mental health issues ultimately. But you know, we, well, I definitely didn't get any support. My wife had a little bit of counselling and stuff like that. So for me, it was more of an outlet. Like, how do I just start kind of writing about fatherhood? Yeah. Um, and that kind of went on for like nine months or so. And then I got a couple of contributors on board. And then in 2017, I decided to take it a little more seriously. So I launched again, relaunched on the 1st of January 2017 as Music Football Fatherhood and a new website. So, um, you know, I spent time learning how to build a website, basically, and and did all that, learned a bit of coding and whatnot, and then built the website. And then I launched on 1st of January 2017. And that summer, um, I wrote an article for The Independent called try and get this right. I think it was, uh, I'm a young black professional father and I don't exist. And that was about my experiences being a, a black dad. And yeah, I think that was really like how MFF became what it is today, really, because it, it took it from something that was just me and a couple of other people to something where it was bigger than me. So I would go out and people would know MFF. They wouldn't necessarily know who I am, but they'd yeah, maybe yeah. see the brand around or whatever. And then um, obviously we had some nice features on the BBC and BuzzFeed and, and whatnot. And uh, yeah, so from there, just been, been growing. Perfect. What were the biggest struggles for you when you started out, would you say? Did anyone ever doubt your idea or say, oh, you don't need anything like this? And how's it been running it over the coronavirus pandemic? Yeah, so at the beginning, I think the main challenge was like, fat, was like, focus like what is it about because it wasn't it didn't start as a business like it didn't start as a very focused idea this is what I want to achieve this is the content we're going to talk about this is the target audience and I didn't have a business plan at the beginning it was more just like I want to write about what I'm, what I'm thinking and feeling and other people do too um it was only later on I actually kind of got more focused so that was a real, real learning curve and it's changed its focus slightly over the course of like the last three years but you know it's all it's always easy not easy sorry but it's it's better if you can start an idea with a focus plan on what you're going to try to do and achieve but because it was never necessarily that for me at the beginning yeah I had to grow that actually as we are doing stuff so that's been a challenge I mean over the COVID period it's been pretty mad for me I've just been lucky I've got a team you know we've got like 20 contributors we've got an editor social media manager and I've really 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 needed a team over this period because there was just times when I just I couldn't do anything yeah. I think for the first time probably in my life I was demotivated and I just couldn't be bothered 
<laughs> like I just couldn't bother to do anything. I just wanted to get through the day and sit and watch TV. That was the reality. I, I was I had no interest. Yeah, it's taken a lot out of everyone, hasn't it? The the pandemic. There's been certain days where you just you feel down, and it is it's right that this has never happened to anyone on this scale before, and it's happening to everyone around the world at the same time. So, yeah, I I understand that it's probably been tough for for you definitely and luckily you've had that team support yeah i mean now i'm back on it now so i'm back to my hyperactive ways over the last like <laughs> i'll say since august yeah april may june july well first of all i had coronavirus at the beginning oh god so yeah so i was i was out for three weeks literally just in bed for three <laughs> and then um from eight from march april to april may june i'd say july yeah it was hard to be motivated it was hard it was hard to care about anything um you know so so for me leaning on the team and all you know the team have had their own challenges some worse than me but i got a big up matt our social media manager who kind of really made sure mff stayed visible so even though i wasn't necessarily around so much like from speaking to people i don't feel like the brand has suffered because we still had a presence out there so yeah having a team is really important you've had media recognition so you've mentioned the independent you've been to the houses of parliament you've been honored by the united nations you got that cheeky tweet from the rock as well what would you say has been the biggest achievement running the community and also in your personal life yeah so i think you know there's so many highlights man like so many moments we just like what the hell you know that first independent article that literally changed my life like that was shared i think seventeen thousand times in about a day or a day and a half or something it was just mad you know, to the point where everyone's seen it. Like, literally, everyone you speak to has seen that article. Family members, like, people from school that you haven't spoken to for years. So that was, like, a mad point. Um, you asked me for one. I don't know if I can pick one. Like, you know, the BBC <laughs> article, I was at work, and I remember it came up on the on, on the front page. It was the most popular, most yes. viewed video that day. And so I'm just working. Everyone's like, Elliot, like, what the hell are you doing on the BBC website? And I actually had to go home that day. I just went home. It was just too much. I just couldn't. It was just like, everyone was asking me questions. Like, literally, like, just coming around my desk asking what they're like. I never knew you were doing this. What are you doing on there? And then obviously, like, you know, The Rock, that was just out of this world. Absolutely out of this world. And obviously the UN as well. But I think so. So there's been, like, mad highlights, but... But I've got to say, some of the best times have been when people have trusted me or the platform to share their story. Um, So when people have written really deep personal articles, you're like, wow, you know, something that was just an idea, that was just an idea that I had literally in my room kind of thing, on my little laptop. And now people are seeing this as a, you know, respectable kind of safe place to put their life story out. That's quite overwhelming, even now. It can get overwhelming sometimes. Wow, that's amazing. And I sh- I'm assuming, like, there's no better highlight than having yourself on the BBC front page and people swarming around your desk. If people didn't know who you were before that, they certainly did after it. So what inspires you? And how do you stay focused on the day job as well as the fatherhood community? And also, do you still find the time for music, football and your other passions? Yeah, so I think in, in terms of inspiring me, I don't know. I just feel like I've always been a very driven and a little bit competitive as well. You know, whatever it is I was doing, like playing football and at lunch, I'll just be sweating afterwards because I would have been running around like wanting to win. And, you know, anything that I've done, I've always put like 110% effort in, into it. Sometimes at the detriment of myself, to be honest, I'm learning now to balance, but 
I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. Like I've always worked hard. And I think I don't take things for granted. I know that, you know, I've had certain privileges in my life, whether that be an upbringing where living in a good family or, you know, able-bodied, living in a war-free country, having good friends. You know, I don't, I don't take for granted like the privileges and opportunities I have. And I really, really don't want to get old with regrets. Um, and I want to make sure that my potential is fulfilled. And I know that I have great potential, as does everyone. It's just about finding, like, what is, what's, what's for you? You know, what is the plan for you? And I think once you find that plan, like the true plan, not just like, ah, oh, like what sounds good, like what is actually the plan for you? What's your skill set? What do you believe in? What are you going to, ha- what are you happy to do consistently every day? You know, when you find that, like amazing things will happen. And I truly believe that. Like I've, I've seen it myself. Like things that you wouldn't even believe will happen if you're following the right path and you work really hard. And I think, yeah, having, you know, there's, there's a difference between um, having a dream and, and a passion and then waking up every day and applying yourself for three or four hours when no one cares. And I think people that are willing to do that, that are willing to put in the work, when no one cares like now it's easy for me now because people care now so it's quite easy to be motivated now but the real time was when in 2016 2017 when no one knew what I was doing family and friends and a few people but they're wake like staying up every night when you're when you're tired because your daughter hasn't slept but you're building that website for three hours until one in the morning we got work in the morning that's the graph that's the real graph like now I find it I'm gonna say easy but I know that when I do something, there's people watching that I know certain people that are going to support it, that I can reach out to certain people. So yeah, now it's, it's a lot easier now. So what's the second part of your question? Do you still find time for the music and the football alongside it all? All right. Okay. Well, I think that's just a lifestyle, you know, music. I don't make music anymore, but I listen to loads of music. We're always dancing in the house. Football's on. We're a football family. My wife sports menu, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like as long as she likes football it's cool but yeah it's, it's more of a lifestyle you know I, I have a kick around I exercise but I don't play football or I don't play computer games or football it's more like it's just part of you know what I enjoy watching and stuff and and also with the platform it's all it's all built in there anyway so it's all kind of one thing now that's great and what you were saying before was actually really inspirational to probably any young people or anyone listening really it is all about putting in the graft at the start and just not hoping it pays off but the hard work will pay off if you put in what you want to get out of it so yeah when I first met you I think it was some sort of blogging awards a couple of years ago and I could feel that you were passionate about what you were doing back then and it's just grown and grown since so it's really good to see the trajectory you're on and it's not just the written content either you've done the videos you've done podcasts and you do your daddy debates on social media as well so for anyone listening that's where people anyone really parents and non-parents male female they can debate issues relating to society parenting growing up various different topics so there's some quite heated discussions on there aren't there yeah sometimes sometimes (laughs) i mean yeah i guess if you're gonna if you're gonna tackle potentially controversial subjects you're going to get different opinions but you know as long as it's respectful and everyone understands that you know the intent is good then that's fine there's nothing wrong with with that at all I don't think and there's a lot of female focused kind of blogs websites communities but what would you say sets yours apart from those ones and also any other fatherhood communities or blogs 
Yeah, so I've been thinking about this a lot recently. And, you know, I think there's there's so many millions of people in, in the world. And sometimes it's about finding, like, your own audience. Rather than trying to compete with anyone else, it's about, like, really trying to figure out what you do well, what your focus is, what your tone is, how you deliver your content, and who you're speaking to. And I think there's space for uh, men, women, mums, dads to be part of various communities, you know, to consume different parts, pieces of content. I mean, for us, I think when we, you know, the, the I think it's in the name really, like that we, we don't, we don't want to be just a dad platform. Like what we want to do is be more holistic. It's around a lifestyle. Yeah. And um, when, we're, when we're thinking about like mental health, so I was talking about, I was talking to have this conversation with NHS England a few days ago and talking about one of the men, with my mental health specialists there. And just saying that when it comes to men and conversations and mental health and masculinity, like some platforms will just, just focus on that. And so you might go to them and you know you're going to have a conversation about mental health. It's going to be quite serious. And yeah, that's fine for some people that need it. But we try and take a different approach where you come into the community and you're going to get some lighthearted stuff around things to do for half term. Or, you know, we have a fantasy Premier League, um, fantasy football Premier League team. So we'll be talking about that. Or we're talking about the new albums that come out and reviewing our top 10 albums of the year. But you're also going to get a conversation on widowhood and miscarriage and fertility and work-life balance and shared parental leave. But it's part of a wider conversation. So it's holistic. Yeah. For, for, for me personally, that's what I wanted to, for myself, you know, I didn't want to just engage with a platform that just kind of shows me as a dad. Um, I want, I'm still a whole person. I still have hobbies and interests. And I think that's healthy. So I think a lot of the people that are attracted to us have that mindset and they find other like-minded people. That's what you want. Before I go on to the next question, how are you doing in your fantasy football this season? Not very well at all. I forgot... <laughs> I forgot the deadline was 6.30 yesterday. I couldn't believe it. It's those, those Friday games catch people out. I've, I've taken a year out this, this year because I've been doing it since like 2009 and I just thought I'm fed up with like running my life to these deadlines and trying to get points. And there was a league I was in where if you finish bottom, you have to wear the kit, the full kit of your rival. And... I was very close to the bottom at the end of last season. I thought I'll take a year out. So I've only got a couple more questions, but do you feel there's more pressure on you as a black dad? So I'm sure you're familiar with like the platform Dope Black Dads and a few other platforms. Do you work with any of them? And do you feel any personal extra pressure being a black father? So I think, yeah, yeah, definitely. I think... um you know, there's things where, you know, you're kind of walking to school with your child and just being a black man, you know, that people are going to make assumptions about you. And it's quite funny, actually, because like I normally just quite casual. So I normally have like a hoodie on a tracksuit. I don't really, I don't care about clothes, but I don't, I don't care about designers or like I'm not a clothes person. Like I try, I look presentable, but I'll dress down. I'm doing the school run in a tracksuit. I'm some, some night, like Air Max. And it's so funny when I get talking to different parents and, um, like I told them about what I do and they're always so surprised, you know, like with this new job in the treasury, for example, I told one mum the other day and she was like, she was just, she just couldn't believe it because why would this black dude in a hoodie in the park be doing this job in the treasury? <laughs> like people just can't comprehend. That. They've got their assumptions, haven't they? Yeah. So I think it's that. So you're kind of, you're kind of working against the assumptions and whether or not they are making assumptions or they're not making assumptions. I think in your mind, or thinking they are. 
you're kind of navigating, assuming that people are assuming things about you. And I think, I think most of the time they are, but sometimes they're not. And, but our brains still think they are. So it's just that kind of extra baggage and having to like, just get comfortable because I, I think as a, and you've got a dog as well, right? So like yeah. walking around as a black man with a dog and you got a Spaniel, I've got like a Havanese. They're not like staffs. Yeah. It's my daughter's dog really, but it's a, like <laughs> cute little white fluffy dog. But I know I'm hyper visible. So when I'm walking, when I'm walking Jesse, everyone sees me because like, it's black dude with his dog and the dog is very cute and recognizable. It looks like Snoopy, right? So, so I know I'm hyper visible. So people will know who I am and it's just being comfortable with that. And if you're comfortable with being hyper visible and you're confident, then that's cool. But if you're not, I can see how it can get suffocating. So, um, yeah, it's definitely that. And also having a black child as well. And, uh, you know, having to think about things that other parents don't have to think about around hair and around racism. And it's an, it's an extra, it's an extra kind of burden, I guess. But yeah, in the question about other platforms, yeah, we've collaborated with various different platforms. I think, you know, we are all about if there's a platform that's doing something that aligns with what we're doing and they're open to it, you know, collaboration is really important. So, so yeah, we're, we're all for working with, you know, various different public platforms. We're always doing, doing collaborations with. And as someone without a child, what would be your one piece of advice for, for me as a prospective parent, other than signing up for music football fatherhood? <laughs> Do you know what? Yeah. It's not even about the child, actually. My advice, my advice is like, you know, you'll figure out how to be a dad in your own way. I think it's about you and your partner, like communicating and knowing that both of your intentions are, are right. Like, I think that's the most important thing. You know, before we got married, we went to our pastor and we, had like a um a marriage prep before we got married and that was just talking about you know it's very simple things like who's doing what in the house and you know how is that going to work to the more serious things like I don't know if one of your parents get ill like are you what happens then are you comfortable with them moving in with what are your expectations around that or you know what are your expectations around um, money and you know how are you going to work out your finances so, well, and that helped us with our marriage and then before we had Eleni we went with them and did the same thing about being a parents okay. and yeah he just talked us through these scenarios like you know who's getting up in the night what are your expectations around how are you going to work out your money when one when one of you's off work and not earning or earning less or you know what are your expectations about how you're going to feed or not saying these things aren't changed but having the conversation beforehand yeah. and then you, you're both going into it like knowing what what you're expecting from each other um obviously things happen and things change but you've had that conversation and then throughout the that first 18 months where you know it's just really tiring just having each other's back you know like there'll be times when I'm feeling okay actually I'm not feeling too tired so I'll take on the bath time even though it's not it wasn't my bath time tonight but I'll do it because I'm actually feeling all right and you're feeling really tired or actually like we planned for you to do the night shift tonight but you're knackered and you're not feeling well and I'm I'll do it you know and and then vice versa I had a long day at work today and my wife will just okay she'll do it like and just as long as you're both prepared to do more then you both win you know but I think a lot of a lot of it kind of gets it breaks down when they kind of Olympics around who did what but I have done that so you got to do that and you know it, yeah it, it can get messy it's not even about the baby to be honest it's about the partnership and your partner and just making sure you two are solid I think that's the most important thing yeah I think there is that level of compromise isn't there where there shouldn't be completely rigid set boundaries you should just work to each other's strengths or work to basically help the other person as opposed to looking out for yourself but that is a relationship 
So I was going to ask uh, one of my final questions. What are your plans for the future? Are there any exclusives you can announce here for the first time for the listeners? I can, yeah. So what I've been doing over the last few weeks is uh, something that, you know, you asked about highlights, like this is the highlight for me. I don't care what it, the book does, but, you know, we have got, when I say I don't, I don't, I don't care what it does, I, can, I don't care in terms of the PR it gets or whatever, but what I do care about is that we have got a book of 19 dads who have written their fatherhood experience um, from a raw, deep, honest place. You know, they've said things that they've never said before out loud. And we've got pretty much every topic covered. So we have, um, you know, dad that took shared parental leave and is a stay-at-home dad. Um, we have a, a stepdad who writes about going into a step family and not necessarily bonding and getting on with his stepchildren and how you have to work through that we've had a dad writing about being a gay dad and you know spending twenty thousand pounds on the surrogacy process um, this guy was married to a woman and then and uh, came out as gay and found his partner who also was married to a woman and they met each other and now they've gone through surrogacy and they've got two children then we've got dads writing about widowhood one of our dad is a widower and he writes about having, you know, being a single dad with two boys. We've got stories around childbirth and, and trauma. My story, actually, we've got stories about personal depression. We've got, you know, dads is really, really honest and vulnerable. And, you know, my proudest achievement when this book comes out in my life, apart from being a dad and a, and a husband, will be this book. 100%. Like it's the world needs to see it. The world needs to read it. I genuinely feel like it's going to have a massive impact in the country, you know, around a conversation about what it's to be a man, around masculinity, around fatherhood, around mental health. And it's going to encourage better conversations between families because, you know, we don't talk about a lot of these things that we experience, but they're quite normal. And there needs to be a space for us to to, to have that conversation. I think this book's going to be the start for that. So, you know, the Kickstarter launches on International Men's Day, which is the 19th of November. And we're working with loads of organisations, some really fantastic organisations who I can't announce now, but um, I will do soon as partners in the book. Yeah, I'm just so excited. You know, it's going to be a really professional product. It'll be in Waterstones and it'll be a hardback cover. And yeah, I, I'm just so happy and so privileged, actually. You know, earlier when I said that some of the greatest things is people sharing their stories with you, you know, this book. As I, as I said, people have written stuff down they haven't told their partners. They told them now, but prior to that, they hadn't told their partners, right? And it's been, um, it's been, you know, I've, I don't cry a lot, but I've cried reading these stories um, for the fact that some of the some of these stories are just like, wow, that's emotional. You know, you know we've got stories about stillbirth and stories around um, one guy had face depression. He was trying to commit suicide. Like emotional because of the stories, but also because people have trusted me with their stories to package it and present it to the world. And that privilege is very, very crazy and very overwhelming. And right now I'm in a space where I'm feeling like, I feel like I'm a bit of a vessel at the moment. Like I feel like this is something that's a higher power. And for some reason I'm just being used to bring it to life. But um, yeah, that's that's gonna be coming out in uh, April, May next okay. year. Um, but by the time people hear this, the Kickstarter will be coming out. Like, like, uh, you know, around this time on the 19th of November, International Men's Day. So, yeah, check out our, our website, musicfootballfatherhood.com, and uh, all the information about the Kickstarter will be on there. Perfect. Yeah, people, 
that sounds like a book to get on your shelf. So yeah, join the Kickstarter and also get that book pre-ordered when it's available. Now I'd like to just get a couple of recommendations. So other than your own book, do you have any books, uh, films or TV shows you'd recommend to people listening? Yeah, so I saw, you've probably seen it. Have you seen The Social Dilemma? I watched that a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, that was interesting. I felt like that really got me thinking. Um, So I definitely recommend that if you're interested in, you know, the psychology of social media and uh, behaviour on social media and how they shape narratives and opinions. Um, That's definitely something. Looking at a bookshelf now, Queenie's a great book written by Candice Carty-Williams. Just a really good story about, you know, a black woman in London and and her life. Really funny, but serious as well. In terms of music, what do I want to recommend in terms of music? So I'm listening to, there's a new sound from South Africa called Ama Piano. And uh, it's like, it's a bit like house, but it's more street music and it's slowed down. It's a bit slower. Um, but yeah, that's that's been the sound in our household. We've been listening to a lot of Ama Piano. Good vibes, really good vibes. Yeah, I think I've, I've heard of it, but I've not actually heard any of the music, so I might check out some of that myself. So you've shouted out your social media manager. You've talked about your wife a couple of times. Um, is there anyone else you'd like to give a shout out to really recognise any of the work they've done, not just this year through the pandemic, but throughout your journey? Yeah, so yeah, definitely big up my wife, like The Rock, you know, always... No, so not, not The Rock. She is... <laughs> But the rock too. <laughs> no, but she's the rock. She's always so supportive. Like when I've got a new idea or, you know, the book, for example, she's always like, yeah, like encouraging me and helping me out and, and uh, helping me take risks, which is good. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, her, definitely shout out the team, all of the team um, in the MFF contributors and, you know, essential to keeping the platform going. And I think just, you know, what, other than that, there's been a few people in my life Um you know, I mentioned Jonathan Moore, that manager in the Department of Transport. He really believed in me. You know, there's certain people who might not know it, but just their belief in you and the confidence they gave you, I think, equips you for being for being where you are. My own parents as well, I mean, rocks. My dad, very, very hard worker. And they're very consistent as well. And I, consistency is something that I really value. You know, I really value consistency in people. And I try and be like that as well. Like, no matter how, how I'm feeling, I try and be honest with people but I don't like, ever want to be in the mood I don't ever want to be snappy I always show respect I think consistency for me is like the number one trait I look for in people you know so so yeah learning that from my parents has been has been really great oh, I can hear the dog now great right at the end it was like I, before you finish this podcast I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna make sure I'm around yeah do you find people want to talk to you now you got a got a dog 100% yeah literally like people that might have crossed the road before will come over and have a little chat now it's funny yesterday I was at the traffic lights it was Jesse and um there was like another traffic lights about I want to say about 30 meters away and I had my headphones on and this woman was like making hand signs at me and I'm like what's she talking about and I took the headphones off and she's like your dog's really cute and I was like what the hell like you're just doing this madness from across the road like what is going on like a dog it just yeah it, it's weird I never know what to say to that as well when people are like your dog's so cute it's like thank you I, I mean I didn't birth it i didn't design its look because but yeah he he says thanks too <laughs> yeah you can't you can't really take credit can you no it's, it's like yeah I, I adopted him yeah got good eye good eye for a dog <laughs> <laughs> so 
I've actually got one question that my my brother, who now has an 18-month-old, he has submitted a quick question that he wanted me to ask. So he's interested in the kind of expectation versus reality side of things. His question is, how have you found it in terms of expectation versus reality, in terms of what society says a father figure should be, or the expectations of a father and the pressure it can cause in things like insecurity or self-doubt? Have you experienced that? since since having your daughter yeah I guess it's weird actually I feel like maybe expectations have changed over a period so um you know expectations back in the day would have been just to work full-time and make the money whereas I feel like expectations now is more to be an involved dad and kind of do it all really I think there's there's kind of pressure on mums and dads to, you know have a good job and then be a really good parent and do the school pickup and like it's, it's it is tough to to do all those things and I don't think you have to. Um, I think you've got to find like what works for you as a family and as individuals and for your children ultimately as well. But I think for me, like realizing that, like for, the, for most children, they just want your time a lot, a lot of the time. You know, they don't really want a lot. They just want attention. And so providing that for them, for me, is like the most important thing. Yeah. Everything else is like an additional nice to have. You know, if you're able to take them out or buy them nice stuff or whatever but being able to spend quality time with them as much as you can and where you can obviously knowing you've got other commitments as well and you have to work and you have to have rest and you have to have downtime you've got to have friends you know but giving them enough time and good quality time I think is the most important thing so like it's tough like I'm so busy I'm a very busy person but when I spend time with Eleni I like it to be quality time so you know we normally it'll be a Sunday Sunday is normally our day or just us Sunday morning definitely is us and sometimes in the afternoon so we'll just go out um if we're in the house we drive it's probably crazy so we just go out <laughs> and we go for walks we take the dog out we go shopping we go to Nando's you know and we enjoy each other's company and it's really nice to have that quality time with each other during the week obviously I'm working so I will take her to school three days out of the week I'll pick her up on Thursday we go to jiu-jitsu after, after after school on Thursdays so we have our times in there what's helped us is that like we have a schedule so through the week me and my wife know what our responsibilities are like you know Monday to Wednesday I do the drop off she does the pick up and bath time um, no sorry I do the pick up but she does bath time and then Thursday I do pick up and jiu-jitsu Friday she has it all day because she doesn't, she doesn't work on Fridays and I, I work all day on Friday so you know Saturday I get a lion she, she, she doesn't Sunday she gets a lion so we know what our things are and we just kind of stick to that as much as, as we can yeah that kind of allows for that balance it allows for us to, to have a life outside of that but know that these times this is my responsibility you know so I think maybe something like that having a schedule helps helps to plan and then you know that that time is ring fenced for, for your child but yeah I think it's something that most parents and dads are battling with isn't it especially now where you know the expectations are so fluid now you know there's so much different models of how you can do things like we do these engaging dads workshops where we go to different organizations and talk to them about how they can support working parents and working dads. And one of the things that we always say is that look, we're not we're not saying that any one model is the best model. What we're promoting is options for people and flexibility for people, for people to have to design their life how they want and work to facilitate that. Um, because within that, there's so many different things that you can do as a dad. There's so many different models now and options available to you. Um, if you're working in a kind of flexible workplace so so yeah so a lot of dads are trying to figure out what is it that works for me and 
that can take a little bit of time to work out. But I wouldn't say, you know, don't worry about it. Just, I guess, dedicate time to thinking through with your partner what, what you want your lives to look like and how does that work with work and, and whatnot. Perfect. Thanks very much for the answer. And thanks to Malachi, my brother, for submitting a question. So, yeah, it's the first uh, listener question we've had in for the podcast. So, yeah, that was great. And if anyone else has any for future episodes, just drop me a line. Finally, is there anything else you'd like to plug or mention before I let you carry on with your day? <laughs> no, not really. Um, I think I've plugged it all. So, yeah, so, so thank you for having me on. It's been a good conversation. Thanks for much for having me on. Cheers for coming on. And finally, where can people find you um, online, on social media? What are your handles? Yeah, so um, musicfootballfatherhood.com, the website, and then at online underscore for Twitter and Instagram. And I've got a personal account. I kind of don't really use it that much. I try to, I try to stay off <laughs> my personal accounts if I can. But um, at I am Elliot Ray on Twitter and Instagram. And, you know, you'll, you'll normally find me on there every now and again. Perfect. Thanks, Elliot. And I'll definitely be coming to you in the Music Football Fatherhood community for any parenting tips when it comes to that time for me. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> we'll welcome you with open arms when you're ready. Thank you very much. That is the end of episode three of the Hustle Up podcast.